I'm Melissa Boyles. Welcome to Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. In this episode, I got to interview Marcus Coleman, someone who hopefully someday will be running for president. But in the meantime, we just have to be grateful that he's in the role that he's in representing the communities of Phoenix, Arizona. He is the light rail administrator for the city of Phoenix and is a liaison between the mayor's office, city council and Valley Metro on all matters related to light rail for the city of Phoenix. It was such a pleasure to interview him and I will apologize in advance for all of the laughter, but he is someone who takes his work very seriously, is dedicated to being a public servant and giving back to his community. So without further ado, let's talk to Marcus. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you so much for being on Moving Arizona. Thank you for having me. We've known each other for a while, but for the folks that don't know you and and don't know what you do. Can you explain a little bit about who you are and how you fit into the transportation industry? Yeah. So like I said, Marcus Coleman, I'm the light rail administrator for the city of Phoenix. My job really is to act as liaison for our city council and our mayor pertaining to any light rail items within our city of Phoenix uh, limits and to also work with Valley Metro uh, partnering cities through our Valley Metro Rail organization. And so uh, whenever council and mayor enact policy, um, my job is to see that policy through, whether it be operations, construction, or maintenance side, whatever it is, my job is to be that liaison, that spearhead for the city of Phoenix in relation to Valley Metro. From an operational perspective, what types of things do you get involved with? So uh, we do our annual contract with Valley Metro for operations of rail. With that, we look over budget. We look over, I said, our our tag. And so, you know, we review things that come up for contracts that Valley Metro holds, which could be spare parts, which could be maintenance, even FTEs and addition of staffing and things of that nature. And so we really look over those things so that we can make sure that we have a a very robust understanding of all of the operational components of rail and the needs of rail, making sure that we keep rail at a state of good repair within our valley and keep our system operating. As you know, Valley Metro doesn't own any of the property that light rail is built upon. And so that property, the light rail is built upon is owned by the cities. And so um, it's, it's also our responsibility as owners of the property and, and owners of the rail that, you know, we're doing our due diligence and our maintenance of our right of way and, and making sure that, you know, we're keeping these safe travel paths for not only our rail, but for any of our pedestrian or vehicular traffic that travel throughout these corridors. How much of the light rail is within the city of Phoenix? And do you also have responsibility for the operations center? 
Valley Metro handles our operations center from the rail side. City of Phoenix does have a operation center for our bus side because we do operate our own bus service within the city of Phoenix. We do have a few routes that we purchase from Valley Metro, but the majority of the routes we actually have here within our city of Phoenix are operated by the city of Phoenix. So we don't really have a presence in their OCC, is what's called Operation Control Center. But we do work closely with them. Right now, we're doing expansion to the Operation Control Center due to the Gilbert Road extension in South Central. Um, we just need more capacity for the new rail cars that will be needed for South Central and Northwest Extension Phase 2, as well as Gilbert Road. And so we're currently in the process of expanding that facility right now. And so that is something that um, we also oversee and act as liaison to that piece of it um, due to the part that uh, we own the property and as well we are members of the regional transportation plan so that and the miles of rail in phoenix versus i believe tempe and mesa so we had our original light rail system was 20 miles with 13 of that in the city of Phoenix. And then we did an extension for our Northwest extension phase one, which was three miles. And now we're in the process of doing two extensions would be our South Central extension, which is a six mile extension and our Northwest extension phase two, which is approximately a mile and a half. And so when you add all that up, you're looking at a little bit over 13, six. So you got 13, six is 19 plus one and a half. So you're looking at right at about 24 miles in Phoenix to be exact for you. We're in the process of looking at our capital extension and our I-10 West extension, which are two extensions that will bring service further out to the West Valley. And um, those will add about an additional 10 miles of uh, light rail service to our system as well. With regard to the capital extension, and I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, but it appeared that last fall that Valley Metro was near to presenting a preferred alignment and a plan for moving forward with that to city council. And then it was pulled from the agenda and now they seem to be revisiting the alignment. Do you know what that was about or are there concerns about going through the capital area? So what happened with that is we were in the process. We have gone through our Citizens Transportation Commission. We had already gone to our Transportation Infrastructure Innovation Subcommittee, and we were heading to our city council for a formal approval of the locally preferred alternative, which would be the alignment for the capital extension. Before we got to our city council, we received a written notification from the uh, Arizona Department of Public Safety, DPS, stating that they had some concerns about the alignment in regards to safety around the legislative buildings. And so we felt that even though we had worked with ADOA and others at the state um, prior to going to our subcommittees and going to CTC, we felt there was an opportunity for us to stop, pause the process, make sure that we're hearing the concerns that DPS may have and really work with them through the design to make sure that they understand that a lot of the concerns that they expressed could be handled through design of the light rail extension. And so right now we're, we've had two meetings with them and we're scheduled to have another meeting with them shortly. They have given some different options of what they would like to see happen around the Capitol. And I think we're amenable to that. And so we're trying to look to see, you know, how would that 
impact our alignment or our preferred alignment? And how would we make sure that we have a good transition from the capital extension to the I-10 West extension? And so we're in the process of looking at that with the hopes to have something back to our city council by early summer. Where will that interface be between the capital extension and the I-10 West extension? So what I can say safely is we'll be somewhere between 17th Avenue and 19th Avenue. So somewhere between 17th and 19th Avenue, we will need to, in that location, make our way north to Van Buren. And then from Van Buren, we would head west over to the I-17 frontage road, the west side of I-17 on that frontage road, where we would utilize that frontage road, build a bridge structure, and allow for the train to enter onto the I-10, running in the center median of the I-10 until about 47th Avenue, where then it would angle over to the north bank of the I-10 freeway and run along the drainage canal there until it reaches 79th Avenue. There's been a fair amount of discussion about whether or not that I-10 portion would be light rail or potentially another type of mode, perhaps bus rapid transit or some version of that. What are your thoughts about that? My thoughts regarding that is we've gone out to the community and we've really done a pretty robust engagement piece. Um, If you recall, in 2019, April of 2019, our council gave us a directive to go out to the community and really examine not just the capital extension, but the I-10 West extension as well, and, and really look at the possibility of accelerating the project, whether the alignment was the correct alignment, also whether the mode was the correct mode, and then an additional piece was whether the end of line should remain at 79th Avenue and McDowell at the parking right there, or if it should be extended further north to 79th Avenue and Thomas, where we have the Desert Sky Transit Center. Throughout that process, we've really done a lot of evaluation. What we've heard from the community is light rail is what the community would like to see. It's uh, their preferred mode of transportation out to the West Valley. However, we do know that BRT is something that's new to the Valley. We're right now in the process of examining several corridors. Our BRT administrator, Circletechie, is looking into that. And so we know that people tend to respond to the known thing. And when I say the known thing is, you know, before light rail was here, it was very hard for us to get light rail in the Valley. You know, people didn't know what light rail was they you know hadn't experienced light rail and so there was a big push for just more bus service Um, but once people saw light rail once it was constructed they were able to ride it experience it now people really like the benefits of having a fixed guideway transportation that's not really impacted by some of the congestion that you see when you're driving in in a vehicle because you're in a fixed guideway and so when you look at brt a lot of people get BRT confused with our bus rapid transit. They hear rapid and it's, oh, that's the rapid service or the express service. No, that is our commuter service that is more like a kind of a limited stop commuter service, not a true BRT. So I think once we do have BRT here in a valley and people are able to experience it and see the benefits of it, I think we may see 
more acceptance of it. And, and actually, you may actually see more people call for that type of investment into transportation. And so we are still uh, moving forward with looking at rail for the I-10 extension. But we also know that as technologies change as well, the autonomous vehicles and things of that nature, that there may be an opportunity to put a rubber tire product that functions and acts similar to rail but doesn't have maybe the high capital cost. But, you know, right now, BRT does have a higher operational cost. And so, you know, we're, we're doing those comparisons as well, you know. And so ultimately, it was going to be up to our council to make that call. And I know that they're going to really rely a lot on the input that they receive from their constituents. And then it's also the other piece of that is really working with the West Valley cities, making sure that, our transportation plan really falls into what the region is looking to do in the future. And the reason I say that is if we have, and I'm just going to throw out names, this is just for conversational purposes. This is not, <laughs> I'm not uh, committing any city or anyone to, to anything. Gotcha. Um, but say Glendale or Peoria decided that they wanted to have light rail into their jurisdiction or Avondale or, you know, uh, El Mirage, then I think at that point, we really have to look at our extension and say, okay, if another city further to the West is willing to put funds and funding into our light rail system to bring it to their jurisdiction, then how do we make rail be uh, the mold that is extended out that way? Because we can't have rail in El Mirage and then a bus bridge and then back to our rail system. Um, as we as we know in transportation, the more seats that a person has to sit in, the lower the ridership is. Um, so those are the type of things that we have to look at. We have to look at a complete picture of it and how it all ties together. You mentioned the higher cost for operating BRT, but then the higher capital costs for construction for LRT in your professional opinion, what are some of the other sort of pros and cons of LRT versus BRT? LRT versus BRT, when I look at the pros and cons of it, I'll start with BRT, some of the pros and cons of BRT, and then I'll go into the LRT. With BRT right now, you're still looking at a rubber tire product. So when you're looking at a rubber tire product, normally the operation costs are a lot higher. You have to have a driver for each vehicle versus a light rail system where you can have a driver um, that actually you can have three uh, vehicles um, in a tangent. And so one driver can pull up to three cars. So you have to have an individual driver for each rubber tire product that you have. Then the LRVs, I think, have a life cycle of about 30 years where bus rapid transit is a bus, has about a 12-year life cycle on it. And then with BRT, you have a diminished uh, capacity of passengers. You have more passengers than maybe a regular 40-foot bus, but it doesn't have the same capacity as a light rail vehicle would have. So those are some of the, the downsides of it. Some of the upsides, it does have a lower capital cost. Most of the time, because it is a, a rubber tire product, we do have to do some infrastructure. There are stations and other things that need to be constructed. But the biggest 
chunk of money that we spend on our light rail projects is due to utility relocation. With a rubber tire product, you don't have that same need for utility relocation. You can put a pavement section that's built to carry that load versus when you have a a rail and a track and vibration and other things that you have to worry about kinetic energy and things of that nature that you have to worry about that you just don't have the same concerns when you have a rubber tire product. And so, you know, that's one of the upsides of it is that Austin is substantially less to do something like that. One of the other things that I will say is a pro and con when we talk about, and I see that I was going to try to do one than the other, but you kind of have to do them together. So (laughs) I see you're getting that as I'm going. (laughs) One of the things is our economic development. BRT has shown to bring economic development to an area, but not at the same rate that uh, light rail has. And I think the reason why is because bus rapid transit, because it is a rubber tire product, it does allow you some flexibility. It allows you to move. It allows you, if, if things change, you can you know take alternative routes, whereas light rail is a fixed guideway. So when you have that fixed guideway, it's there. And that's a commitment that is made by you know, the municipality or the, the transit authority, that's a fixed infrastructure that's that's put in place. And so if you're a private developer, you have a little bit more confidence knowing that, hey, once this rail is put into place, it's not going to move. It's going to be here. And so you can you know plan your development around that, knowing that that is a resource that, you know, won't be relocated away from your area. Do you know the economic development benefit of light rail for the city of Phoenix to date? Light rail. So we have $1.2 billion that we put into light rail for our existing system. Mm -hmm. Um, We have $1.2 billion that we've put into that system and we received about $8.4 billion in economic growth. If you look at the system as a whole, we put about $2.4 billion into the system and we received about 14.4 back in economic growth. So we're looking at about a, a six to one. So, you know, pretty much for every $1 we spend in light rail investment, we're receiving about $6 back in economic development. That's exciting. Yeah. That's a huge impact. And I think one of the areas that really kind of showcases what the impact of light rail can be is downtown. Okay. Downtown Phoenix is, I think, while light rail is not responsible for all of the changes in downtown Phoenix, I think it was certainly a catalyst for that over the last, call it 20 years between, you know, what this city used to be like in downtown versus what it's like today is just, it's not even close to comparable. Yes. I mean, you look at organizations like ASU, Michael Crow has been quoted and has said it several times that, you know, having light rail was key and instrumental in, in being able to have the downtown Phoenix campus really being able to open up both of those campuses along the light rail, making ease for our students to travel back and forth. That's just one of the ways that light rail has been able to make more educational programming available to others. I think we show that there's been 21 vocational and community colleges that have opened along our light rail uh, line since its start in 2008. And so, you know, that really goes to show that these centers for education and, and employment, they really like to be located near 
the multimodal transportation hubs because they know that the people can get there. They know that students can get to school. They know that residents can get to work. You have a reliable transportation source. And so, you know, that's key. I know City of Phoenix and Valerie Metro really likes to tote those figures just because it really gives you a black and white kind of reference of, you know, the possibilities that rail brings to an area. The city has been very forward thinking as far as transportation and investment and improvements, sitting squarely in the middle of Maricopa County and knowing that the regional transportation plan is currently in development and that we're going to need to go back out to voters, hopefully November 2022. What are your thoughts around the needs versus the availability of resources to address those needs as it pertains to the RTP? So what I would say with that is, you know, it's it's a complicated topic, you know. Right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. We know by the reports and everything that we see shows that, you know, while the economy is going strong in certain areas, other areas have, have greatly fallen off and incomes are reducing. Um, Our service industry is taking a beating like no other. So while you have online sales that seem to be doing well, or in some cases, even doing uh, above par, you have whole other industries that are are barely holding on. It's hard to, to say in the middle of a situation that we're dealing with right now, you know, open your wallets. uh, Let's, let's, increase taxes and let's just do these things. But the flip side of that is we have to understand that the commitment of transit is, it's not just a commitment for us right now. It's a commitment for future generations. It's, it's not, I tell people all the time, the work that I do right now, I hope will have an impact on my grandchildren. And the reason I say that is because, you know, okay, when we look at Maricopa County, um, and the population in Maricopa County, most people spend about 53% of their income on transportation. But then when you look at light rail corridors within within Maricopa County, most people spend only 36% of their income on transportation. And so that really shows you how transportation and public tra- good public transportation, multimodal choices can really help people see some financial freedom. We look at the immediate impact of a tax and say, oh man, that, you know, this is dollars out of my pocket right now. When you look at it holistically and from a greater picture, if you take a step back and say, hey, well, by having these different modes of transportation that are easily accessible, that have high frequency that are dependable, then maybe I don't need that vehicle anymore. And by not owning that car, even if you have a two car household, and by not owning one of those vehicles, now you take away maintenance costs, repair costs, payments, insurance, tags, cleaning uh, people, you know, it's things that people don't even consider. You don't consider how much money you spend just on car washes. So those are the type of things, you know, people will able to use that money to make other life choices. Um, Maybe it's educational, maybe it's food, whatever other life choices that they have, you have to look at the greater good. I'm really hoping that we'll get the support that we've seen in the past, 
we recently had a vote with uh, Proposition 105, that initiative that came, and everyone came out and voted in favor of rail. I think every voting precinct except for two in the entire valley came out in support of rail. And so that in a time that we're looking at, you know, this was only a, a year and a half ago. And so that really goes to show that transportation is supported here in the valley. And, and it's something that's wanted even in jurisdictions that don't currently have rail. Speaking of those jurisdictions that don't currently have rail, I know MAG has in the past done some pretty extensive studies on a potential commuter rail system. Do you see the prospect of commuter rail tying into our multimodal environment here? Yes, I think that that's one thing that I always applaud, Matt, because they're always on the forefront. They're always on the cutting edge, looking at what technologies are coming. How can we make it a smoother transition to get from A to Z? How do we get all of the cities on the same side, swimming in the same direction? And they have a very hard job. You know, you're herding cats. You know, we all have our different councils, our different mayors, we all have our different objectives that we're trying to accomplish. And, and we all have our own constituent group that we're trying to, to serve, you know, and, and which we should. But then we all have to come together for the region and make sure that our planning is done in an effective way and that we're being efficient with the resources that we have in the region and that we're serving everyone and that we have equity in the way that we're serving our community, um, which is key. And I think that, you know, that's that's something that MAG really brings to the forefront. And so when you talk about that commuter service, I really feel that it's something that is needed. Um, I think anyone who lives in the West Valley who travels along I-10 will definitely tell you that it's needed. I know that the uh, 202 Loop Exchange, the South Mountain Freeway, has helped relieve some of the cut-through traffic by 18-wheelers and others that are just passing through Phoenix and not making deliveries here locally. So that does help relieve some of the congestion, but we're growing at such a fast rate. We still need those options. And so we definitely, we, we speak with them, with MAG, we talk with them. They include us in their planning efforts. We really try to make sure that whatever we do, even like with their spine studies and things of that nature, they share that information with us. So we try to make sure that whatever we do from a transportation planning standpoint, that all parties are brought to the table and that we're looking at this as a way of, not just one component, not just light rail or just bus, but how are we improving the system as a whole and how do they interact with each other? We're really trying to be efficient and make sure that we're providing the service that the community needs and that the citizens need. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, listening to you talk about all of the constituents and serving the council and the mayor, you have been with the city for a while. Can we talk a little bit about your career path and background and how you came into the role that you currently serve in? Yeah, sure. That's no problem. I've been with the city of Phoenix for 25 years. I started out as a, a part-time engineering technician out of high school. I started with the city when I was 19. I was going to South Mountain Community College and working for the city of Phoenix as a part-time engineering tech. And, you know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> so when, so I tell people all the time, I was a product of a bring your child to work day. My father actually worked for the city of Phoenix as well. And he retired from the city of Phoenix back in 2009. And so I kind of grew up with the city of Phoenix, you know, and so, I was blessed in that way. I will say that 
throughout my career, I spent 15 years in development services. Back then, it was just development services. Now you may know it as planning and development services department. This was back before the recession in 2008, 2007, 2009 time. And so planning department and development services department were two separate departments then. During that 15 years, most of my job experience was civil uh, civil work. I did plan review for planned community developments and for large commercial developments. Uh, Happy Valley Town Center was one of the projects I worked on. I worked on several of the uh, master plan communities up in Desert Ridge. At that time, if you remember back in, I would say, the early 2000s, so 2001 to 2005, when we were having the, the economic boom and housing boom here, we were able to do some really unique things. You know, we, we thought outside of the box. We were able to put engineering ideas into practice and, you know, and, and really were able to expand the valley at a, at a pretty fast rate, but responsibly. And, and I, I was blessed to be a part of that. And then 2009 came and we had the, the downturn of the economy and the housing market, you know, shrank extremely fast. And the city is such a great employer. We, they try their best to place staff. And whenever we see economic downturns start to come away, we'll hold any vacant positions so that we'll have positions that we can place staff in as departments have to, you know, let go of those positions. And so I was actually, it's called a RIF. I was actually RIFed over reduction in force. I was actually RIFed over to the public transit department. And um, that's how I became a public transit employee. And so when I got RIFed over to a public transit department, I was a, I RIFed into a project manager position. And I like to think that it was because of my, diversity and my skill set that I was able to take on several different challenging projects there. But I think if you ask anybody at public transit, I was just the Mikey of the public transit department that uh, you gave me the job that nobody else wanted to take. So (laughs) give it to Mikey, he'll do it, you know, (laughs) but it was a blessing. You know, I was able to do things like um, I worked on our regional fare collection system. I managed, managed that contract with Scheidenbachman. I was our grant liaison for the department for a little while. I managed contracts that we bought in service to other jurisdictions. So I would go out and negotiate those contracts and do reconciliations of those contracts and audit those contracts. I also was able to work in our facilities division to where I was responsible for overseeing our North Transit Facility refurbishment and our South Transit Facility refurbishment as well as I was even able to do an elevator rehab project in our public transit building headquarters. So I was kind of wearing the jack of all trades, wearing all hats. Um, and then I actually was the, for a small time, I was the acting deputy director over operations, which was a good experience as well. Albert Crespo was a gentleman who ended up getting that job, who's phenomenal in the job that he does. Um, I'm sure if you haven't heard his name, you will hear his name. He's doing great things on the operational side for public transit. And so I started working for Albert Santana as the TOD grant manager. At that time, we had received a grant from the FTA and I was responsible for business assistance and also land use planning for the South Central downtown project. And so 
through working with the stakeholders, working with the business owners, working with a multitude of contractors and everyone that was involved, I just became more and more entrenched into our rail live and uh, our real aspirations and programs. And so as I continue to work uh, through that, Albert received the opportunity to lead our census, became our census director, which is very critical because it really impacts the the funding that we receive citywide, you know, um, and so it, it impacts so many of our departments. It's just a very critical piece of how we are able to do business in the city. And so for him to be selected to do that, that was really uh, an honor and a privilege for him to to be able to use his communication skills and his resources that he had. Uh, I thought that was a, a really flattering thing that, you know, our city manager felt that he was capable of taking on such a large task. And it was just him and, and one other staff person, Layla, who really ran that whole program for the city of Phoenix, which was phenomenal. So, Jesus was our acting light rail administrator for a little while, and then he got promoted to our public transit director. And then the opportunity came for me to interview, and I was successful. I was really blessed by my past to be able to compete for it. And the reason I say I was blessed is that I never would have thought that being impacted by the reduction in force would have put me in a position to be the light rail administrator for the city of Phoenix, but it really did. If you look at light rail as a whole, it's really a civil construction project. And so having so many years of civil plan review and civil construction experience, and then having the public transit experience, not even, I mean, I I literally worked in every division in public transit that we had. Um, So uh, having that public transit experience for nine years, um, on top of the 15 years that I had with development services, it was this position really just allowed me to combinate all of those skills that I learned over those years into one position that really could use, you know, that skill set to push the program forward and, you know, to continue to execute the city of Phoenix's desires. So. So even though you were the Mikey of the public transit department in the long run, it ended up serving you perfectly, it sounds like. Oh, definitely. I tell people all the time, don't shy away from any task, even if it's a task that you may not see the benefit in at that moment. I'm living proof that you keep a good attitude. You you keep showing up to work every day. You keep performing with excellence, do the best that you can. And, you know, you'll get skill sets from anything that you do. You'll get skill sets that will definitely uh, benefit you in the future. It's really inspirational talking to you. You're so articulate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very struck by that. I feel like you should be talking to like youth and, you know, like I was going to school at the South Mountain Community College and now I'm basically working with the mayor and the light rail program and we're looking at multi-billion dollar systems. Like it is really inspiring. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. I actually have worked with a couple of groups. Um, There's one that really sticks out in my mind is a nonprofit group called Elevate. And they work with youth in the community and they reached out to me. And once they reached out to me, once I've always supported them ever since then. And I remember this one time they asked me to come talk to the football team over at Betty Fairfax, the football, the cheerleading team and the basketball team. 
And by intentionally, anyone who knows me on a personal level knows I'm, I'm a car guy. I love cars. My father is president of Arizona Rod and Classic Car Club. Uh, cars have been in my blood, you know, before I could walk. So um, I have a couple of classic vehicles and one of them is a, a 64 Impala, which is like a low rider. And so I, I drove that car over there and, and you should have saw the kids eyes lit up and they're looking like, man, and. And then, of course, I get out and, you know, I'm in a suit and tie and they're like, OK, he, that doesn't match what we thought was going to come out of that car. <laughs> and I start talking to him. But the reason and it was funny because I did that intentionally because I want them to see that you can still have the same enjoyment and pleasures and, and hobbies and habits that you have right now and still be successful. You know, so many times we put ourselves into these boxes, we feel that hey, well, if you're into low riders, then you have to be a certain type of person. If you're into motorcycles, you have to be a certain type of person. If you're into art and classical music, you have to be a certain type of person. And that's the beauty about us as humans is we're not one-sided. We're three-dimensional. And, you know, by being three-dimensional, that means we have a multitude of interests. We have a multitude of an array of things that we can put forth and take in. And you don't have to be one-sided. You can be both. And that's why I really like to talk to youth because I come from South Phoenix. I still live in South Phoenix. I tell people all the time that I live here intentionally. I can live anywhere in the valley that I would like to. I make enough money to do that. But I like being in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. I mean, I have a little bigger house than what I grew up in, but I'm in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. But I like to be able to show that, you know, a lot of people used to feel that when you made it in life, you moved away. And I like being able to show that that moving away is not what I feel we need. I think we need to I need to show that you can still be successful and be here and circulate that dollar still in your community and still show support for your community, still be a part of your community and still be successful. Your location doesn't determine your success. And then I also let them know that money doesn't determine your success. I would rather have great relationships and great partnerships than to have an influx of cash it's not worth it. And so I think that's one of the things that really drives me with rail is that I know that we're doing something that is going to impact the community in such a deep way and such a deep level. And it's not just about bringing homes and houses and new people. It's about providing options and providing a way out of no way. You know, you're, you're allowing people to be able to stretch themselves, allowing people to be able to challenge themselves and people think, well, you're only putting in a, a mode of transportation. It's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. And so, yeah, so that's, you know, I was, I'm sorry to, to, to ramble on about that. But when you talk about that, especially the community and, and the people that we serve, I am intentionally a City of Phoenix employee because I believe I am a public servant. I tell anyone who works for me, you can ask all of them. I tell every single one of them, if you do not want to serve the community, you should not work at the city of Phoenix. Every job, I don't care if you're the janitor, I don't care if you're the city manager, every job in the city of Phoenix was created to serve our community. And if you don't come to work with that in the forefront of your mind, then you're not doing the right work. Not saying that you shouldn't do work. I mean, there's other opportunities out there, but you're just not doing the, the right work. You want to be somewhere where you, you have a passion and the inspiration for 
and, and I have a passion for serving our community. Well, I have two things, an observation and then one very important question. Okay. <laughs> observation is you're a young man and you've been at the city for 25 years. So technically you could retire right now if you wanted to. About four to five years left. <laughs> four to five years left? All right. All right. So the very important question I want to know is when are you running for office and how do people support you, dude? <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm like, where do I send the check? Because I want him representing us. Well, I tell you what, this is, and this is quiet as kept, but I know it's going to be out there now. Um, I've always said, and it's funny that you say that because I've had somebody else ask me one time before, like, would you ever run for office? I always said the only way I would ever run for office is I would have to be financially secure so that decisions that I made would not be impacted by finances. You know that by that saying, it won't be any time before my eligible retirement day from the city. <laughs> so would, four or five years. Be, I'd be financially <laughs> secure because I would want to make decisions based on what I truly felt was the right thing and never have to worry about that financial aspect of it, which is a very real aspect. You know, you know when you're depending on finances to support your family and keep a roof over your head. Sometimes you have to make some, some concessions, not do anything unethical or illegal, just make some concessions. And I feel that when you don't have that over your head, then you can be unapologetically yourself and really push for the things you believe in, no matter what the outcome is. Wow. I'm starting a ticker now. Four five, about four years from now, I'm going to be hitting you up and be like, so remember when you were talking about. Uh, You're going to hold me to it. I will. Absolutely. We need people like you leading us. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And this has been the most awesome interview. You are fantastic. Like you're such a quiet person, you know, when you're very poised, you listen way more than you talk. And I had no idea any of this stuff about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like this. You, you have one mouth and two ears for a reason. So I should be listening twice as much as I talk. So I wish so many more people would take that advice. <laughs> well, we are at the top of our time here and I just seriously cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. It was such a privilege and pleasure to be able to interview you. Well, thank you. I mean, you made it so easy. So I wish they would all make it just more conversational. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I'll, and I'll tell you a little secret and I, you can edit this out. But I'll tell you a little secret. One thing about me is uh, everyone always says, Marcus, you do so well at public speaking. You seem so relaxed. You see so calm. Public speaking makes me so nervous, so nervous. But I always keep in mind what I had a mentor of mine, Jerome Miller. He used to be a department head in the city of Phoenix who passed away. But he told me this long ago. I said, man, I always get nervous when I have to speak in front of people. And, and I hated it. I, I just truly hated it. I said, I don't know what I can do to change it. And I'm much more comfortable with it now. But he said, you always want to have that feeling. And I said, why would I want to have that feeling? I feel nervous. He said, because that means you care. And that has always stuck with me. 
He said, because that means you care. So whenever you have that nervousness, that's because you care. If you don't care, when there's nothing to lose, that's when you don't have that nervousness. But when you when you care and you're putting yourself on the line, you're always going to have a little bit of nervousness in you. And, and so that really reframed my thought about that. And so now it's a weird love hate thing. I, I love that I get nervous because it means I'm caring, but then I hate it at the same time. <laughs> get to embrace your inner butterflies. Well, I am absolutely not editing that out. So <laughs> thank you so much, Marcus. This was thank absolutely you. amazing. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. It was such a pleasure to interview Marcus Coleman and to hear about his dedication to his role with the city of Phoenix and his commitment to his community. I'm sure that he is someone that not only will be shaping the future of transportation here in the Valley, but also on some additional levels in the future. We wish him nothing but the best. And I hope you join me back next time. Until then, let's get moving.